Hey, boy, welcome to Fox Hours Podcast. It's me, Seth. It's me, Seth. And I'm Mike. And that Mike. And we are Franklin, Tennessee. And we are Franklin, Tennessee. And yep. Co host is. is we're California. It's Tim Stafford, California. And our co host yeah. from California is Tim Stafford. <laughs> Nailed Dude, it. Dude, you're on fire this morning. Yep. I love it. Yep. Seth. Yeah. Okay, what's happening in two days? Uh, we have Seth birthday. No, that's in three days. What's happening before that? Christmas. Christmas. What are we going to do for Christmas, boy? Um, I go to Chick fil A. Go to Chick fil A, okay. <laughs> I go to have a third to go to Wendy's. Go to Wendy's. Dairy mm. Queen. Dairy Queen. And Carl's Jr. And Carl's Jr., okay. <laughs> I make a cake and a pie. You're going to make a cake and pumpkin pie. Sounds yeah. great. Sounds like a very busy Christmas. Yeah. Absolutely. And then and then the day after Christmas is what? It's my birthday. Yes. How old are you going to be? 14. 13. And Derek is 16. I'm 16 yeah. or 60? 60. 60? Okay. Well, no, no, but you, but I appreciate the thought. You look um, great for 60. I know, right? It's it's coming. Mm. Uh, Seth, what are we going to do for your birthday? Um, I'm going to trampoline park. Go to trampoline park? Oh. All right. That, we could do that. And um, have a dance party, have a cake. Have a dance party, have a cake. And um, have fun. Have fun. I get back to school today. And then back to school, yeah. We'll have to go back to school at some point, but not not today. Not We're right good, away. baby. We're good, Seth Thomas. Anything you want to let uh, our vo- uh, Voxology community know? Anything um, big happening? Uh, Fox, I will see you for people. Uh, you help for people? I'm not. I'm not about Tim. You're not about Tim? Yes. Oh, okay. Uh, about about Kevin. You're about Kevin, yeah. Well, that's, well, I mean, that's very accurate, actually. Yeah. All right, anything else, buddy? Yep. I love you. What do you want to tell Tim? Tim, he do a sec. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you my son, Seth Thomas Charles the first, <laughs> as we call him. Um, he's fired up. I mean, I'm not going to lie. It's a, it is the season, Christmas and his birthday. He is fired up. He, he does not know he's supposed to lament a December birthday. He just thinks it's a, just <laughs> glorious. My son's birthday is Christmas Day. I know. That's incredible. Is he, is he aware now? Of the oh, double-edged yeah. sword that is. He is, but he's always had, it's always been a big enough day. Like, we'll do Christmas in the morning, and we've usually had a birthday that day or the next. So yeah, I don't think he's really gotten that shorted on it. Yeah. He kind of thinks, since it's actually Christmas Day, I think he feels kind of special with it, too. Yeah. He also wants to go to a trampoline park. Dude, come on. Why wouldn't you? I mean, I we had, uh, when we were in L.A., we had... Uh, I would take Mazzy to go like once a week on the cheap day because it's kind of expensive, mm-hmm. especially if you're going more than once. And uh, it's not a f- it's not a forty year old activity. <laughs> no, it's not. Nor is it a forty year old activity. <laughs> it's there's a there's a very narrow sweet spot for that for the smell of that thing. And it, yeah. It, it, uses muscles that you don't uh, apparently don't use on a daily basis <laughs> totally now speaking of unused muscles <laughs> you my friend it, i mean christmas is coming and you my friend are about to do something very dumb that's right and you know this is mike's um let's see mike's monstrous moment um <laughs> I, I, I'm concerned for you. Go ahead. Let's go ahead and get it out. Let's go ahead. You should be, yeah. Well, so this will air three days after Christmas. Hope Christmas you guys all have a nice Christmas. Saturday. It'll air yeah, Monday. Two yeah. days. Two days yeah. after Christmas. Yeah. Uh, we are... And, and the kids aren't listening, are they? No. And they'll know it, like, right now, like, currently. Yeah. 
Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No. But they don't listen to it even on Monday, so we're good. No, we just listened to the um, last episode or two episodes ago, just the beginning, so Mazzy could hear her voice. Absolutely. Over the car speakers. Yes. Yes. She was glorious. Um, I mean, we promptly turned it off after that. Well, of course. But Yes. I, I don't <laughs> think she's alone. I don't think you're alone in that. I think there's, you know, according to our, our quantitative research, people listen for exactly 15 <laughs> seconds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is a reference to the survey, which is out. Yeah. By it's the way, the we wild. have a we have a website, we have a newsletter, we have it's a survey. Happening. It is all live, and Seth was very popular on the survey. Brenda, I want to say thank you again and again. Her team, I mean, this thing it looks. Gina, it lo- Gina was doing a lot, a lot of work. Oh yes, I mean, let me just say. Um, it represents us better than we could ever represent ourselves. <laughs> you would look at this thing and go, man, that is a well-polished machine yeah, perhaps of, it, of it falsely represents us. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> it's, it's so great. It looks so good. Thank you, Brenda and Gina and Summer and crew. You guys were phenomenal. So, yes, go to voxologypodcast.com. There's an echo. And you can take a survey. You can take a survey. We've got playlists and hold on, there's a whole bunch of stuff on there. A whole bunch of stuff. I mean, literally, it is, you know, John Mayer would say your website is a wonderland. He would say that. Yep. That's exactly Unfortunately, what now I'm going to hear that in my head for the rest of the day. Thank you. No, you're welcome. All right. Uh, so go ahead, Tim. Get oh, it yeah. out. So, Let's uh, do this. We're getting a puppy. I am actually going to get the puppy right after this finishes i've what, finished recording this what kind of um it is a labradoodle so it's hypoallergenic nice does not shed nice and uh we've got some good friends who are allergic to dogs so hopefully this will also alleviate that mm-hmm. we're and excited i love dogs okay okay and the kids are very excited the deal was you know, we bought a house during the pandemic and there is no fence on the yard. So that was supposed to be step one. But yeah. we're ad- adopting and labradoodles don't come up all the time. So we pulled the trigger, as yeah. one says, in more ways than one, perhaps. <laughs> yeah. And if you know Tim Stafford, you know that what his life needs is more insanity. <laughs> yeah, or a little bit more chaos. So... I'm 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 monstrously amused by <laughs> this. And if you've been paying attention, the Eries had a puppy and no longer have a puppy. And so, you know, I will live vicariously through you. you hey, go. we've got a whole bunch of stuff to get through today. This is kind of a, a not an end of year wrap up because I think we have one more episode. We don't take time off at the Vox podcast, Voxology right. podcast. Excuse me, we don't take time off. Holidays, doesn't matter. This is the Christmas Eve Eve, and we are doing this. Hey, um, hey. I want to thank some people for, for joining our Patreon team. I want to thank Megan and Dale and Michelle and Crystal and Amy for um, joining our, our community. Thank you all so very much. This year has been an incredible year. It has been weird and I don't know, difficult, and it's been very rewarding and filling. There's been um, just loads of things happening in our culture and in the two of us and in our community, and we're delighted that we get to do this. We're delighted that um, we are able to pay all the bills that associate with this. We're thankful to um, be a part of a community that's so encouraging and supportive, and so We just want to say thank you again and again. It's the end of year for those of you that matter, and we are a 501c3. And you go to Voxology Podcast, and um, you can find ways to give there. But we are uh, unbelievably grateful for all of your encouragement and support. Um, Last week, we talked about deconstructing. And... And really, it was the finale, Tim. You you it said was. it. It's the we're not talking about it anymore. But we talked. Uh, we asked our community to share some of their stories, 
And as always, uh, our community is um, is amazing and shared shared some some really good and deep stuff. And so I've asked permission to share some of these on air. And I just wanted to read. I'm going to read four, and then um, we'll read more next episode. But I want to kind of honor these because they they kind of show um, beyond you know beyond the 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 judgment of of whether it's sexy or not um it shows sort of the grief and lament attached to this and i'm so grateful uh for these people who've written in and um allowed us to share a bit of their story so it still sounds so odd to hear what's that <laughs> just it be called sexy oh totally in light of any single story you've ever heard of this yeah seriously so this is uh this is one gentleman hello mike and tim for us the i think the catalyst was church leadership abuse and hypocrisy forcing us to leave and walk away and be immediately forgotten from our church and our community it's taken years to unpack some of that trauma and heartbreak so where we are finally stripping away um absolutes or doctrine by asking if the bible actually says this or is this something that was handed down in Sunday school flannel boards? Flannel boards. Yep. Having a son and having close friends who are part of the LGBTQ community, um, unpacking and understanding church leadership, power struggles, abusive and manipulative behaviors, then studying the qualifications of elders and leaders, <laughs> thinking more about pastoral care versus charismatic speakers or personalities, Unpacking accountability in the church, how to have difficult conversations with church leadership, and the authority of church leadership, trying to have those conversations versus walking away and not bothering because it will do no good uh, nor make any change. It is a struggle. I don't know if that helps or not, but this was and is our catalyst moment. It starts with pain and separation. Mm. Yep. And, and uh, obviously, that speaks for so many. Yeah. Uh, of us. Uh, this is from um, a young lady who is a friend, um, a young woman, I should say. Um, and, and, and I'm cutting out pieces of their story that either are specific or are complementary to us um, because I, I, want, I want you to know, um, dear listener, singular, that um, when we get people to ghostwrite these, we include all sorts of nice things uh, that they say. And so we're going <laughs> to skip those parts. No, but, but seriously, uh, you all are so kind to us. Um, but then, uh, so this is um, uh, from a friend who said uh, her pastor at one point had said, I hold only a few things tightly and the rest loosely. I never thought it was possible in a faith where I'd been taught apologetics and being able to pick a side on every point was as important or even crucial to evangelism. This statement from a pastor I trusted and respected felt like permission to do the same. Once I did that, I found my capacity to love others grew and my tolerance for rigidity and doctrine waned. Then I watched as my daughter who'd given herself at the altar of church involvement and frenzied evangelism became pathologically judgmental, mm. both of herself and others. I watched the af aftermath of her exodus when she recognized the damage it caused her mental health and self-esteem, self the pain she endured as former, quote, friends, said she was only looking to live a sinful life rather than a more loving one, and the blossoming that took place within her while healing away from the church environment. I came to terms with the lie of Christians vote Republican, when I began to hear and recognize the hatred for human beings behind policies I once championed, I listened to racism against our former president, and I think she means Obama, and was horrified to hear a woman stand up in a women's Bible study and claim God had revealed to her that when he said, pray for your enemies, he even met Barack Obama. Lord have mercy. And then I watched whole swaths of, of the American church embrace a man whose worldview was so antithetical to the message of Christ so vile, so awful, I found myself wondering how I, I could ever be part of it again. I think she's referring to our literal former president. And yet, 
I don't want to walk away from Jesus or become another voice of anger. Um, and, and she goes on with some other examples that are really powerful. She just says, all of this is to say, it has been a confusing and disheartening few years, but I believe holding tightly to a few things while holding loosely to the rest has led me to deconstruction, but mostly it has freed me to love better. I like that. Well said. Uh, another, <coughs> another sister in our community my deconstruction started in 2015 with two simultaneous events, the Syrian refugee crisis and the presidential primaries. Watching how many evangelical Christians wanted to shut out Syrian refugees at a time when they desperately needed refuge was utterly heartbreaking. I saw an entire community I grew up with react in fear and disgust at what they thought of letting foreigners in because of their fear that there might be terrorists among them. The utter lack of the compassion of Jesus was baffling to me. Also, this was the year of the rise of Trump's popularity in the Republican Party. I don't think I have to spell it out why this was so confusing and gut-wrenching. As I looked around and saw so many Christian friends rooting for such a despicable narcissist. Up until that point, I'd been a Republican my whole life, but I suddenly didn't recognize the people around me who I thought were my people. By the end of 2015, I'd switched political parties, started having conversation with new kinds of people, and ultimately started taking apart my faith and beliefs brick by brick. Six years later, I'm still on that journey. Our family hasn't been to church over two, in over two years. But, all caps, during all of this, I've clung to Jesus and his teachings. See, that's the part that doesn't get picked up. Yeah. He is more precious to me than ever. I've continued to study and explore the Bible. Some days are good. There, um, there's growth and beauty and freedom. Other days, I feel further from God than ever. I understand him less. He's mysterious and impossible to grasp, and I don't know if that feeling will ever change. Mm. That doesn't sound sexy to me. Yeah, none of these do. I know, right? So um, another one of our sisters. Um, I have been moving. This is such a great metaphor, Tim. You'll love this. I've been moving up and down on the waves of deconstruction since Trump came into office in 2016, but it wasn't until the end of the pandemic last year, or excuse me, not the end. Uh, it wasn't until the start of the pandemic last year that the waves capsized my life. Mm. I had just returned from a medical mission trip to Egypt with a group from my evangelical church when COVID hit. I'm, uh, I am a nurse at a local hospital. Things started getting stressful at our hospital quickly. I actually anxiously started caring for COVID patients and isolating myself from family and friends since there was a higher chance of me getting infected. I'm a 41-year-old single woman that lives alone, so things got heavy real quick. Yeah. My family lives about an hour and a half away, and my mother is in an ongo in ongoing cancer treatment. It was hard not to be able to hug the ones I love. After my church shut down, I received a text from one of the women I went on a mission trip to see how I was doing. Also received a Starbucks gift card from my church since I was a medical worker. However, other than those two gestures, I was on my own. I admit I could have reached out more, but was overwhelmed at the time. I'd been very active in my church. I wasn't someone on the fringes. I was a leader in Christian ministry to women who work in the adult entertainment industry. Um, uh, I went on, uh, I'd volunteered with youth ministry and went on multiple missions trips. But like I said, I was single and I think that made the difference. Looking back at the constant sermons on marriage and family at my church, I realized that the truth was even before COVID, I was questioning if I belonged to my church anyway. Hmm. I kept thinking that the church is supposed to be the family of God, not just a group of biological families that meet together once a week to sing and listen to a person give a lecture. Amen. <laughs> Thankfully, I was able to stay close with my family over the phone at a time. As time went on, churches decided they had been closed long enough and it was time to not live in fear anymore. So our hospitals are busting at the seams. My church opened back up without any requirement to wear a mask. I was distraught. COVID was devastating our community and hospital. Ultimately, it seemed that the desire for individual rights overruled love for neighbors. I realized my church family was gone. I couldn't walk back in the building. All I could think um, uh, was, do you not even care about healthcare workers, vulnerable, elderly, and people with anxiety? I couldn't unsee what I saw. Yeah. Not even to mention issues around the election and racism. In summary, the cracks were in the walls prior to COVID, questioning gender roles, uh, issues of biblical interpretation regarding science, moving towards nonviolence, etc. Um, so podcasts and therapists, 
I, I'm, I'm moving ahead, kind of get me through right now. I have to say that I wouldn't trade anything for the growth I've experienced over these two years. Jesus held me close in his steadfast love this whole time. I have a much more beautiful image of who he is now. I am at peace with who I am becoming. Oof. That's so, heavy. Oh my goodness. So that is a small sampling of, um, you know, some of the people in our community and, and their journeys. And we just want to honor them and um, just reflect on, just briefly, on the danger of judging those trajectories yeah. um, at the start or midpoint of, of those. I, I think, um, you know, uh, it's, it's super dangerous for us to just start throwing labels and categories at people in the midst of Even the midst if of somebody, this. I'm sure there are people who are left church for whatever the street cred or sexy like because it was i don't know they thought it was right. cool or something i'm sure that there's a there's people that fall in that category but i'd argue that even those people there's underlying things that shouldn't be discounted so it's like i don't think anyone falls into the toss away blanket category yeah and then these man good lord like you obviously we're all aware of how insane the last couple of years have been but like every time you hear someone recap it, you're like, holy crap, this has been like a, <laughs> what an insane ride this has been. And we're still uh, just like, like the waves is a great metaphor. Like it's just another wave is coming and yep. you're kind of laying on your board at the bottom of the wave looking up being like, all right, this one might tumble me. Yep. I've made it through the past couple. I don't know if I'll make it through another one. Yeah. It's just a lot of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yep, and it was it was a great um, week. Also, changing subjects to remind us um, of how great faith and politics work together. Um, <laughs> one of the consistent points we've tried to make is uh, the Bible envisions the church as a political and social reality that is not operated all by the partisan politics of the world. But there are those who continually suggest otherwise. And so um, we just want to be a community that keeps pushing back and fights to hold on to the biblical vision that the church operates neither left nor right, nor as a religious institution, but rather it is a social, political, and economic reality that plays by the upside-down rules of the kingdom. And That was a very um, succinct definition that you just gave. Well, thank you. Um, and so we had the former president at a at a a church. Um, not uh, Obama. Yes, not uh, announcing the good news of America first, which is always interesting. Um, <laughs> and his uh, Christmas blessing was, you know, about inflation and criticizing the current administration, and um, and talking about saving Christianity and Christmas, and and it was just such an interesting. Um, portrayal of the idolatry of our hearts in looking to somebody and looking to political power to somehow save a faith that has withstood <laughs> countless persecutions. And I mean, man, if you if if your Christianity needs saving, then it, it should probably go. Um, uh, Jesus is not threatened by. Uh, the cultural mood, nor is no. he threatened Look at by all those emails you just read. Most right. of them ended with exactly that. Like, this has been a bananas time period, and Jesus has held me close in his steadfast love this whole time, and I have a much yeah. more beautiful image of who he is now. Yeah. And we would all agree. I mean, the kingdom is, it does not, is not in any way hindered by the vicissitudes of life. No. And yet, we are constantly on the lookout for someone to fight for us, for someone to represent our interests, for someone who can uh, can uh, fight the culture battles for us. And um, it's and then when we it, find him, he's a uh, never mind. Well, it's it's perfect. It's absolutely <laughs> it absolutely is perfectly designed. And and I'm using us. I mean, this isn't this has nothing to do with the particular individual. Right. who held the presidency before President Biden. This has to do with the idolatry of our hearts. Totally. And it could be towards anybody. Yeah, that person um, wouldn't even have 
been spoken about if not yep. for that. Yeah. And and then I loved, I mean, and this one was even more telling. Um, the former president's, uh, one of his children uh, got up and said something very, very honest. Following the peaceful parts of the Bible have gotten us nothing. Yeah. And uh, and I read the this, this speech in which that context um, was given or that provided the context for right. that for that quote and um you know we've turned the other cheek <laughs> and i understand sort of the biblical reference i understand the mentality but it's gotten us nothing yeah. it's gotten us nothing while we've seated ground in every major institution now again just bringing this up to say well if christianity is an expression of partisan politics um you, then then it's no longer christianity it's something yeah. else because the core of Christianity is the sacrificial love of Jesus. And if that doesn't work in the world, and it doesn't, uh, that's why it's upside down, uh, but, but you have to force it into some sort of partisan container, then it's not Christianity anymore. It's some other thing. But it's just, I just, love, I love that the quiet part is being said out loud. Right. You know, yes, yes, this is great if you want to believe Jesus in your private heart. But if we're going to win the culture war, darn it, then we need to fight fire with fire. And that means being mean, nasty, and whatever, you know, the ends totally yeah. justify the means, which could you know, be more antithetical to the, to the teachings totally. of Jesus. To a self-sacrificial. Because the, uh, the, the Mars Hill podcast had a big section that was on our obsession with war terminology. Because oh. that was a big part of Driscoll's kind of platform. Mm. was always the kind of war war rhetoric and stuff we got to fight for war yeah and yeah. it's all like all the <laughs> metaphors you just use they're all war metaphors like it's just yeah it's about like violence and taking and winning and domineering and dominating and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, so, which always brings me back to that seven mountain mandate thing with like how we have to have a leader on every mountain and then i'm still i'm still sticking to that our 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 leader died on the on Golgotha, we're Golgothians. Yes, yeah, exactly. exactly. That was his mountain. And I don't, you know, we we don't want to. Um, we bring that up to just hold out continually. By contrast, the vision of the kingdom, which kingdom is a political word, um, church was actually a political word. Yeah. And savior is a political word. And so you you've got you've got rivals. You, Jesus deliberately co-ops the message of Caesar to to declare that you have to choose between them. Yeah. And um and so it's just fine having political opinions and but we don't baptize those as Christian. Um uh we we simply as Christians hold political opinions about how the kingdoms of the world should be run, but that does not define our allegiance nor our primary identity. Right. Um in the same way that, that follower of Jesus does. So that and that just sort of provoked in me, uh, because I'm the biggest sinner on the podcast. Um Tim is a close second. It would be shocking if you knew what I know. But um <laughs> I I've edged him out. Um no question about it, just because I'm older and there's yeah. more. I've had more time to sin. You've got one extra car of stuff. <laughs> and I've already had a puppy. Um, <laughs> no, I, I, I wanted to just do, to say something and, and explore something, Tim, that we've talked about before. But, but And I'm not going to take a long time uh, because we've made this point so often. But I was just sitting and I was thinking about, okay, I mean... Uh, I was preaching in this uh, sweet church community uh, in Tennessee, and we were talking about uh, Mary mm-hmm. and how, you know, we have this beautiful picture of Mary's yes when an angel comes to her and says, hey, you're, you'll be an unwed, pregnant, you know, uh, teenage kid. And, and, and we just have this sort of haloed, polished picture of, oh, yes, of course, may it be to me as you say. But then when you read the rest of the Gospels where it's showing what Mary must have experienced. And then there's this image where Simeon in the temple, when Jesus is dedicated, comes up and prophesies about Jesus and then looks at Mary and says, and a sword will pierce your soul too. Yeah. And you look at what that 
means for her. And one of the one of the really hard things for Mary was when you know the Holy Family they lose the Savior of the universe. They go up to Jerusalem, um, and then they depart. And for a day, they're in the they're probably in a, a, a caravan of dozens of people, and they're probably with relatives and neighbors and friends and for safety. And so it's not shocking that they don't find him. Um, uh, for a day, uh, but then they go back, and after three days of looking, they find him at the temple. And um, the the wording is very deliberate. Mary says to Jesus, "Your father and I have been looking for you." And Jesus is like, "Yeah, but I'm at my father's house doing my father's business." You know, and that must have just been a little that yeah. must have stung in some very harsh way, not harsh ways, but that must have stung. I mean, in other instances where, you know, Mary is standing outside and Jesus is teaching, my mother and brothers are those who do the will of God. Um, or the, the worst, of course, was her standing at the foot of the cross. And, yeah. and um, she's there, it's now a single mom. Joseph died at some point. But, but the, 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 the metaphor or picture of, of a, a family leaving Jesus behind is such a fitting image for the deconstruction, reconstruction, discipleship conversation we're in the midst of. You know, like every now and again, Christianity and, and some parts of it or the whole kind of moves and Jesus sort of sits behind doing his father's business while we're off doing the Christianity things. And so we have to kind of go back again to the temple. We're like, and, oh crap, where's Jesus? And find him. Yes, 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 yes. And I thought that was such a such an interesting metaphor for kind of what discipleship turns out to be and to look like. It's it's journeying along the life and looking around and saying, huh, I don't see Jesus here. So let's go back. And yeah. oh, finding him there and then wanting to walk very closely with him. So what I wanted to do was just to make the following point. All right, that um, that the most important thing you can possibly do um, in your life is to read the four Gospels of Jesus, to commit yourself to praying and living the Lord's Prayer, and to holding uh, ruthlessly onto the image of God that we get in Jesus of Nazareth. And that's it. That's, that's it. it. And, and it's important just to theologically, and, and again, we've covered this ground before. I know, I know we've talked about it, but my goodness, we just can't, you can't say it enough um, of how the New Testament regards Christ in reference to um, how God is revealed. Um, and so like in Colossians chapter 1, you get Paul saying the Son is the image of the invisible God. Now, what's fascinating is in the Old Testament, um, humans are made in the image of God, no question. But there's also this teaching that because God had no form, visible form, you were not to make God in any form mm -hmm. nor cast any image of God. And so there's no image of God other than humans. But now um, the, the Son is the singular image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. doesn't mean he was born first. Right. It, it means that he's preeminent over creation. For God, Paul goes on, was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things. So you've got two claims there. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, so he's the invisible God made visible. Right. And then secondly, all of God's fullness. And the word here... Um, is, is a word that the Gnostics back in the day would use to describe different, uh, different levels of the universe. And so Paul is countering their teaching by saying, you know, all the fullness that you're seeing at the different levels of angels and celestial beings, all of that, no, no, instead dwells in Jesus. And um, you get later on in Colossians, you get like, for in Christ, the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Um, he, was, <laughs> he was not simply a man full of God. He was what deity looks like when you put clothes on. Mm. You know what I mean? Or in Hebrews, um, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through prophets at many times in various ways. So we're talking about literally the Old Testament here. 
But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he also made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory. And this line here, it couldn't be more powerful. And the exact representation of his being. Hmm. All right, now that phrase, um, he is the image of the singular God. He gives us the true picture of what God's like. Um, and, and the word is hypostasis. In Jesus, we see God's inner being. So the essence of what God is like is made manifest outward in Jesus. So that's why he alone is the radiance of God's glory. Um, so so literal, I mean, literally the teaching is God spoke in other ways, and those ways were true. Yeah. But none of those were the exact representation of his being. So the pictures we get of God throughout other parts of the Bible are absolutely true. They're just not complete. Right. And so when we, when we hold an Old Testament picture of God of equal worth and value to the picture of God we have in Jesus, we're not reading the Bible correctly. Right. It's not that that Old Testament picture of God was was false it's not no god is holy and god is all those things but it's not given full context as it is in the person of jesus yeah right or even jesus i mean he will say all things have been committed to me by my father no one knows the son except the father and no one knows who the father is except the son and those to whom the son chooses to reveal him in another place he'll say if you've seen me you've seen the father now, the reason this matters is that literally, literally everything hangs on your image of God. Now, obviously, for those of us that don't believe in God and for those of us who are struggling with whether or not God is real, totally. But once you've committed your, yourself to the idea of God, it's not that you take Jesus and then put the preconceived ideas of God and layer them over Jesus. It's that Jesus replaces the pictures of God that you've had previously. Yeah. That that's the point. Because yeah. and and this I mean this couldn't be more important. You will never outrun the picture of God that you have in your brain. Yeah. Right? We always become what we worship. And so when you're seeing people be pharisaical or judgmental or you're seeing people be um passive and uninterested, when you're seeing people be violent, um, and hurt others. They're just working out, and, and they're doing this all in the name of God. They're just working out the image of God that they have mm-hmm. in their mind, right? And, and we yeah. all know this, but I don't think we take it seriously enough so that when we're confronted with people saying, hey, Christmas needs saving, and Christianity needs saving, and we're losing this culture war, it's so easy to step out and away from what Christ is and what Christ has done to grab a hold of those sorts of expressions of worldly power, thinking that somehow that provides um, security. When we back away and look at it and say, well, no, no, those, those whole, that whole thing is antithetical to the, the Jesus that we're following. What's happened um, is that we the, the image of God that we have now has been somehow corrupted, right? Yeah, um, totally. And we're just working out the image of God. The, our God is a God who wins culture wars. Our God is a God who um, enforces morality. Our God is a God who sends people to hell and enjoys doing it. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. That's so good because Jesus, when you read those Gospels, every step of that was opposite. Looking for the culture warrior, the person who's going to take and renew everything so that you know, yeah. To, to well, he take subverted that them. Yeah, the exactly. zealots. So the the I mean, the Sadducees, the zealots, and the Pharisees offer different ways of cultural renewal. How yeah. do we re? How how does Judaism find its way forward? Right. Is the covenant people of God under Roman occupation? Yeah. And Jesus subverted all of those visions, and we still have those same visions today. Absolutely. Yeah. And maybe on a grander scale because of. You know everything we've talked about the interconnectedness of the world and absolutely absolutely so so uh and i love this quote by his words and actions jesus himself changed the content of the word god Hmm. 
So we don't think of God, and this is the problem, right? I, I believed in God growing up, and God was omniscient, omnipotent, uh, um, um, the present. He sent people to heaven and sent people to hell arbitrarily. I mean, that was my image of God. God was pissed at, at my little transgressions of his laws. Um, like Gandalf. Oh, yes. Cloud. Yes, yes, yes. He, and, and there's this old far side cartoon of God just putting his ha- hand over the smite button. Like there's totally. a dude, there's a dude, he's watching a computer <laughs> screen. There's a dude walking under a piano that's being raised up on a rope. And he just has this, God's fingers hovering over a red button called smite. Yeah. Right. And that was such a beautiful picture of, of the God I received. Now, we have to say that we're not just looking at the pretty parts of Jesus. Right. I mean, Jesus confronted. I mean, Jesus had strong opinions on sexual ethics. Jesus mm-hmm. had strong opinions on wealth. Jesus had strong opinions on lust. Jesus had strong opinions on a religious abuse, right? So, so the danger is, yeah, 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 we just capture the parts we like of Jesus, and we, and we turn Jesus then into... Well, Jesus was the first Marxist. Jesus was the first capitalist. Jesus was the first Republican. I mean, so, so, I, and that is why the, the saturation of our minds in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John repeat. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John repeat. And the right. praying of the Lord's Prayer over and over and over again is so absolutely critical. Because all of us can hijack Jesus. I have. We can turn yeah. Jesus into a progressive uh, liberal Democrat, we can turn Jesus into a fundamental conservative Republican. No question, and that's happening all the time. So to sit with Jesus as the disruptive figure that he was, and to really pay attention to how and to who he disrupted, and and to who he didn't disrupt, I mean, all of that is super, super important. Why? Because that ultimately is the image of God that we are living into and um, and being transformed into. Yeah. You know what I mean? And once once we get, and, and this is something, I mean, again, I know this is repetitive, but I just, I, I was feeling it so acutely myself. Yeah. This week, reading some of these emails, seeing some things that were happening in culture. Then the job of us isn't to evangelize people. Um, it's to just, reveal the beauty of jesus right um it's just to point out how beautiful jesus is yep and to me that has been so absolutely liberating yeah um i grew up in a culture that was like listen sometimes you're the bible someone's ever gonna you know the only bible someone's ever gonna read we used to sing songs that that from the perspective of someone in hell saying (laughs) why didn't you tell me i mean you know it was like what (laughs) <laughs> what? And we can get into the whole evangelism conversation. Um, we on need a separate... to. Yes. I think after the new creation series and everything like that is a conversation that needs to be had. Well, salvific, evangelistic. Salvific. Look at you throwing out all the words. That's right. Yes, salvific. I mean, I didn't. You'd throw out a big one earlier. Hippopotamus, something or other. Yep. I want a hippopotamus for Christmas. <laughs> Whatever Absolutely. that word translated as. <laughs> Hupostasis, baby. Hufflump, Hufflump. Yes, Hufflepuff. Um, and so what we, <laughs> what we mean when we say, like, just show them the beauty of Jesus, we don't make Jesus beautiful. Right. But what we're up against are, are centuries of ugliness yes. done in Jesus' name. That's such a good point because there are, um, you know, well, I was just going to reference Mars Hill without referencing it, but I will anyways. I remember yeah. part of the, that conversation during that time with someone that I knew that worked there was how to make the gospel and Jesus more attractive to the younger generations. And so they're, you know, they got this nightclub or this like concert venue and they're doing all this work. And it's like, what do you mean you're trying to like make Jesus more attractive? Like, Right, you you're you're already starting from a weird spot, like right. But that's a total thing. Like you know, you do the worship music in a different way, or you create the. I mean, man, these big churches that are doing these Disneyland events right now for Christmas, millions and millions of dollars to for this pagan holiday. It's a wild. Yeah, it's just such a. And then to think that it's all 
I don't know, just modeling. I was talking to a friend, we've talked about this on the podcast a couple of times. I just feel like all Christians and all churches should have maybe twice a year where they just pause and say, okay, where are we? Which way are we facing? Mm. What are we doing? Do we need to, do we need to change? Is like, Jesus still back at Jerusalem? Exactly. Like that needs to happen a couple times a year before yeah. you're like 10 years in, you're like, oh man, what is this church again? Yeah. <laughs> Who are yeah. we? What are we doing? Yeah. No, that, that to me is a great definition of repentance. Yes. Looking around going, hey, is Jesus still with us? Yeah. <laughs> no, I think that's a really great, and it fits this season obviously so perfectly because this season, I'm not going to, you know, uh, spoiler alert. I don't like Christmas. Oh, I have yes, I've never liked Christmas. <laughs> it but it drives me nuts and it's for somebody with high stress and anxiety and depression too this season for some reason triggers all of those things. Mm. And I can't wait to get through Christmas. I love Halloween and then it kind of it kind of <laughs> just slides down the hill after that. Yeah. Pe- peaks with the monsters. And then but it's man, Christmas yeah. is rough, but that idea of like we're running around like with wrapping paper and bows and these crazy big songs and these big million dollar events while Jesus is back at the temple. And it's like, yeah. I mean, if ever that metaphor at any time of the year, it would be sorry for me. Yeah. This time of year. Hey bro, we welcome your hatred. (laughs) I'm the Grinch in sixth grade. I was in a musical at the church called the sixth grade Scrooge. And I was the Scrooge. And you didn't even have to act. No, they're just like, you know what? You don't have to audition for this. <laughs> this role was written for you. <laughs> oh, totally, totally. Um, and that's, but, that, but that's very symbolic of what we're up against, right? I mean, that all the ugliness that religion and nationalism and consumerism has wrapped Jesus in. Yeah. So it's not like we're adding... Or making him beautiful, even though we use that language. What what I mean, or what we mean by it, is that we're standing against the centuries of ugliness done in Jesus' name. Now, obviously, I contribute to the ugliness. Yeah. Right? There's no possible way in my meanness or selfishness or pride or lust or greed or whatever. Yeah. Right? There, I, I'm contributing to that. Um, but the way of Jesus from that place of repentance and confession and apology and reconciliation and you know work i mean that's the way of jesus we're not talking yeah. about pretending yeah. we're talking we're talking about the way of jesus through through all of the hard practices of reconciliation forgiving confession lament all of those sorts of things Dude, Learning- anything is sexy it's this it's the opposite of it's it's like the just pretend like it's putting on the dress that doesn't fit and going out and like, you know, it's, it's painting all of this faith as something that it's not. Yeah. And shiny, happy. Yeah. Well, that's, that's why you like packaging up something that's not, that's like trying to be sexy. Right. It's not like the reality of, I don't know. So maybe they were right. They just had their metaphors wrong. (laughs) Well, I mean, like for me, even if Christianity, the, the real, let's not even use that word. Even if Jesus turns out to be false, I right. want it to be true. It's such a beautiful yes. story. I want it to be true. Oh, man, what does she say? So I just read that. Rachel I was Held. Late, yeah, I was late to the bus on this one, and I just read Inspired, and I, I thought it was just a wonderful, wonderful book. I was, I was very inspired by it. But she says that in, in different words at the end of her book, like... How does she it's a say story it? I'm willing to be wrong about. Yeah, like she's just like it's and it's like what we talked about with Peter last week with like when Jesus was like, Hey, are you guys gonna ditch out too? Like everyone's leaving after a hard teaching and he, you know, it's that same idea of like, I'm choosing that this is I'm gonna gamble on this. Yeah. And I've I've got evidence that I feel is good is good enough to to place that bet. And not just the evidence, but also just the the pieces of it are worth like either way, I, I this makes more sense to me. Yeah. Then, so it's like it's I I feel like I don't know how you tell that to a child, but the version that we got of like conversion or faith or dedication or whatever is not that. Mm. And this and that causes so much like faith crises, because you once you realize that your mind can't hold on to this like crazy absolute 
thing that we're we're told it is when we're children. Right. You just you're set up for it. I mean, that's literally building on the sand. Yeah. Yeah. With lots of rules. Yeah. I mean, that's literally, you know, that's my kid. I mean, we have preached, we have lived so differently and outside the rules, but they still cannot conceive of Christianity beyond that at this point in their lives. And, oh, it just means I can't do this. And you're like, "Mm, boy, that that's so not what it means. Well, it shows you how long that conversation is, which we'll go back to Gombas's like, you should be terrified to tell people about. <laughs> you know Jesus, because you're you're saying you're going to walk with them for the rest of your totally. life. Or there, like, so it's like, oh. yeah, that makes sense because your frontal lobe doesn't even fully develop until you're like what twenty three or twenty four or whatever. So that processing, right? That conversation is dramatically different at five, at ten, at fifteen, at twenty with somebody that you're saying like, huh. I'm going to walk with you for the next fifty years. Yeah, while I continue to learn and grow. And I'm going to meet you where you are in this as you continue to learn and grow. So it just shows more. I don't know. Yeah. It makes sense. Right. And it makes sense how relational Jesus set that up too. Cause it's like, no, this is a big deal. And I like the stuff that you said about how God in the old Testament was just different like pieces, you know, yeah, and it made they me were true. Think of, they were all true. Yeah. But it's not, none of it was the whole picture. And it made me think of like Moses, like I want to see it all. And God's like, Sorry, like you can't handle it, man. Like yeah. you can see the yeah. you can see the backside or whatever. <laughs> like yeah, 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 totally. So when we when we want and, and that's I mean literally when we pray, um, before almost all of our episodes, that's our prayers that we would just point people to the beauty of Jesus. So that that's a fine sounding cliche, but what's that really mean? Yeah. So um, the first thing it means, and, and these are just random thoughts. There's no coherence to any of this. But the first thing it means is studying the temptations that Jesus refused, but often the church accepts. And so the temptations to power, Mm -hmm. the temptations to spectacle and greatness, the temptations to religiousness. I mean, literally, I mean, to, to track that episode where Jesus is saying no and quoting from Deuteronomy things that Israel said yes to, and yeah. then mapping those onto the idolatries of my heart and the American church is ridiculously powerful. And that is why we're so concerned about the allegiance to a particular brand of politics, uh, the desire for consumeristic safety and security, uh, the idea that America first is some sort of Christian posture, I mean, all of, you know, it's, and again, I mean, these are and are not, they're political statements in the sense that they do not represent, they represent the kingdom, but they're not partisan statements. Like we're so, we're so indoctrinated into the partisan binary that it feels like criticizing one party means embracing the other. And that's not true. And putting all your chips in one of those parties. Right. That you have to just go all in. Right, 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 right. Yeah. No, no, no. That's not what we're saying. So um, to look at what it means to, to reject the temptation of power or manipulation or coercion. Um, when Jesus could have controlled the world but chose instead to woo it. When Jesus well, do you could think have, that's why he, like when he did the miracles, and he's like, don't tell anybody about this? Is that like... Oh, abs- of, absolutely. In Mark, yeah. that is absolutely... They, remember, there's at one point they want to make him king by force. Right, And he withdraws. Why? Because Messiah for them was a political, um, like body politic of Israel, Redeemer. They didn't realize that God was doing a transnational thing um, in and through Jesus with Israel kind of at the center of that and flowing from it. But yes, very much so. I mean... And, and then, you know, you have, <laughs> you have Jesus not being practical and all of the ways that we're told to be efficient and practical and how we love for each other, how we build church or all those sorts of things. So on the one hand, Jesus's rejection of power forces us into places of, well, if everyone, you know, just believed what I believe, we'd be better off. Or right. um, uh, how can people not see this? They're wrong or Which they're idiots. I'm so guilty of all of that. Yeah. Well, me too. Right. And so, so 
you know, it's the constant, okay, like sometimes I get maybe 30 feet out of Jerusalem before I have to turn around. Sometimes I get 30 miles away from Jerusalem before I have to turn around and find Jesus again. You know what I mean? Right. Like, yeah. like there, of course, this is so hard for us, right? The heart of the kingdom of self is self-sacrificial love where you would rather die for your enemies instead of kill them or insult them or mock them. And I'm so far away from that, right? Jesus could have yeah. called down angels, but instead, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And, and the beautiful parts of the kingdom. So loving people who love you, I mean, that's good, right? But <laughs> yeah. even tax collectors do that. But loving your enemies, that's beautiful. Yeah. Right? Giving to people who give back, okay, that's good. Right. Giving to people who can, can do nothing for you. Right. That's beautiful. Right? Getting even, well, I mean, that feels good. Right? But forgiving, that's beautiful. So we, we show the beauty of Jesus whenever we embrace the upside down values that precisely don't work. Yeah, it's such a redefinition of justice. In American culture. Absolutely. Absolutely. Praying for those who are close to you is good. Praying for those who persecute you. I mean, that's beautiful. Befriending people who are um, who you have things in common with—that's great. But befriending people who are hard to be friends with—I mean, that's beautiful. I mean, you just—you can just go down the list, right? Yeah. Just take literally every everything we hold to be true and valuable, <laughs> flip it upside down, yeah. and then that's how you manifest the beauty of Jesus. Yep. And man, we're such a work in progress. So part of manifesting the work of Jesus is just confessing as we don't that we haven't. Yes. Yes. You over know, over and over, over and, and over and over and over again. Manifesting the beauty of Jesus is loving people before they repent. Yes. I mean, you have this beautiful passage where you know Paul is sitting in Athens. And he's just, he's, he's scandalized by the number of idols. Some, some said that there were more statues um, and, um, and altars in Athens than there were people. But there's one altar to an unknown God. And Paul gets up in, in front of the, oh man, I forget the name of the thing. It's not the Agora, that's the marketplace. Anyway, uh, old age moment. Um, he gets in front of this council. It's going to come to me like in five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> he gets in front of this council that it, it thoughtfully considers new ideas. And, um, and he, instead of just narrating, you guys are idiots. I don't know what you're thinking. He literally builds on that common ground of, hey, I see that you have an altar to an unknown God. What you don't know about, let me proclaim to you. Hmm. And then he gently kind of dismantles the two competing philosophies, Stoicism and Epicureanism. And um, I mean, it's just a masterclass, but Paul didn't sit there and narrate all that was wrong with their culture. Like part of the, part of the way we manifest the beauty of Jesus is, um, as Paul says, who am I to judge those outside the church, right? We, we refrain from offering social commentary and all the pagans. Now you and I find great joy in pointing out all the Christian weirdness and have a great deal of patience for uh, those who've not claimed the name of Jesus, but that that represents its own traps yep. that aren't Jesus-y. So we, so we don't get off scot-free on this, but there are whole cottage industries just talking about how awful um, people who don't agree with us are. Yeah, And um, that's not manifesting the beauty of Jesus. Or even people, and I, I get into trouble with this one, but I, I don't understand businesses that refuse... Oh, to yeah. do business with people they don't agree with. Yeah. Um, so I'm not going to bake a cake or I'm not going to do a dress. Uh, because, and, and you're just like, hmm, boy. I, and here's Jesus eating with tax collectors and prostitutes. Right. Um, boy, I don't, I really have a problem with that. Yeah, yeah, and I get religious liberty and freedom. But Jesus never preaches religious liberty and freedom. Um, what he preaches is that we are indebted to each other in love. 
Even um, our American version of religious freedom. and That's religious. what I mean. I don't mean, of course, we love religious freedom. And of course, Jesus died to give us freedom from religion. Right. More than freedom I was going to say that even our American, religion. our polluted American version of that doesn't exist in order to, like, persecute other people. Exactly. Like, it's, exactly. that doesn't work on any, in any framework that you set up. Well, just, uh, just imagine if a Muslim did that. Oh yeah, I will not. I will not serve you because you are a Christian. And imagine the yeah. Imagine how nuts that that place would have been burned to the ground. (laughs) I know. So um, all that is to say, and and again, we have to add. um, I am such a contributing factor to the ugliness. Yeah, absolutely. You totally are. Uh, Yes, (laughs) physically, mentally, emotionally, no, in all the ways. So this isn't about pretending. Right. This, this, is, this is how I view my life. I work hard to immerse myself in the beauty of Jesus in all of its disruptive Yes, and that's contours. such an important thing. Like we've talked about just recently with the deconstruction stuff, like that, you know, Israel, the people, God's people were, you know, wrestles with. It's, that, it's our inner core nature of who we are to wrestle. And I find that when I'm not wrestling, I've become complacent. And that's Mm. usually when I'm doing things that are poisonous to me or other people is when Mm. I am like, so it's like, I've I've learned to embrace or to desire the wrestling. Because when I'm wrestling, that's why deconstruction conversation for me is like a what? Why are we having this? Because in my best moments with Jesus is when I'm wrestling against everything. Right. Wrestling with myself, wrestling with hard teachings that he brought wrestling yeah. with understanding why God allows things to happen. Yep. That is when yep. I'm at my best. And anytime I notice that I'm not wrestling, I have realized that I'm all of a sudden in a really in a repentance necessary posture. A Boy, that's so good. Yeah. That's yeah. However you would say that. Yeah, because you're living your the, the kingdom introduces all these tensions yeah. to the way we conceive of ourselves in modern life. And there's no way between birth and death that I can imagine a situation in which I would arrive at a <laughs> moment where there's not a need to wrestle, where, I, where, where everything will have landed right. peacefully. Right, and, yeah. And I don't um, think that's bad. I think that's wonderful. It causes me to engage 100% when I am doing it. I'm not saying I do that all the time, but like it demands mm-hmm. spiritual, emotional, physical... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm engagement with with jesus and then with everybody around me and that absolutely that feels healthy yes sure my hip hurts literally and it's the jacob story spiritually yes (laughs) yes Yes, it does yes and your back and And my back probably probably one of your achilles um (laughs) yes no i i couldn't agree with that more tim and I, I conceive of my particular apprenticeship to Jesus in, in those terms. My, my job is to immerse myself in the beauty of Jesus. Now, for me personally, that takes me into the rest of the Bible. Yeah. So I can, so I can see and appreciate what Jesus is doing, the story he's fulfilling and continuing. Yeah, and the way you set that up at the beginning with, the, again, the fragments of God that were all true. Yeah. But that Jesus is the ultimate revelation. The fullness. Of that, 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 yeah, that... that allows you to go in every direction yeah yep and then and then the second part of that calling is then to manifest embody and point to yeah the beauty of that jesus i mean that's literally it for me if i had to summarize what discipleship is for me it's that yeah and that's what we mean by making jesus beautiful when we say that on this podcast it's not about trying to yep make jesus sexy and dress him up and high that's heels right. and send them out but like that's right just to reveal or to point back and say look regardless of us this is how beautiful this is yeah the greatest hindrance to following jesus is thinking we already got it figured out yeah the greatest hindrance is my mouth <laughs> uh anyway friends uh, this is a lot of familiar ground we're treading um but good reminders well it for me for me, it I is need. for me too. I, need I think it. that uh, I I need to hear a Christmas message for me is to say. <laughs> I guess it's the message we used to 
we used to get like a call to repentance, but a call to what repentance actually means mm. in this season yeah. is important for me. Yeah, me too. I'd also like, <clears throat> after all the emails that you read at the beginning, to encourage people to check in on one another. Mm. It's a yeah, very that's... isolated time period, and people are not everybody's in a great spot. And it'd be great to keep that in mind with each other. That's good, dude. Yeah, we gotta we gotta continually work at figuring out ways to help all day, air day. Yep. So, friends, thank you. Man, we're so honored to um, to do this and to be a part of your life. And we're honored that you share your stories with us and your corrections and your encouragements. Um, man, uh, it's so fun to to get to do this. And so, thank you. Yeah, I I I know Mike feels the same way. I love reading these emails, even just like even ones that aren't prompted by a conversation that we're having, but just connecting with people that, you know, like we've said this, Mike and I are just staring at each other on video screen, having a conversation that all of you are invited into, but it can feel like it's just the two of us sometimes. So I love hearing. And a lot of these emails will start with like, you guys, you guys feel like you're like good friends of mine now. And I really appreciate that. And I like hearing your stories to extend that relationship, that direction as well. Yeah, thank you. It's the Aragopagus. That's it. Just came to you. No, I had to look it up. This was going to bug me. My brain was not going to be able to move on <laughs> until. So I had to. I'm sorry. Asparagus I, and the Heffalump. <laughs> so, uh, friends, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine His face upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance to you. And in these days, these crazy, crazy days, <laughs> may he give us peace. Thanks, and we'll see you next episode. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening to this conversation. Voxology is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that is supported by listeners just like yourself. If you'd like to partner with us, you can do so at patreon.com backslash voxology. You can also join the community and hang out and chat with us on the socials. Facebook.com backslash voxology podcast and on Instagram at voxology. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for walking the long road with us.